Welcome to another episode of Life on Mars. I'm Alex Dion, founder of Mars Space. And in this episode, we bring you Fabio Basile, one UI UX designer I've been following for a good while on Twitter, super specialized in a UX UI and usability. And right now, also with a huge interest in artificial intelligence. Why we brought Fabio into this podcast is because, first of all, we like interviewing friends of the company, but also because for me, he's one of the very few people who post really, really interesting UX, UI stuff on Twitter on a consistent basis. And I find him to be very organic and very transparent. And you will see it in this conversation. He is very honest about the stuff he does. There's a lot of fluff in UX UI, like there is in so many other aspects of business out there. But I find him to be very transparent and very honest about his work and what he can do, what he cannot, and what his limitations are. So we have a very good conversation about how to find clients doing UX UI, how to build a portfolio, which is something that we share in common with UX UI and designers, because sometimes the projects we design, the projects we build on Marsbase are never launched, our internal tools are protected by NDAs, our super secret projects, our projects that are, you know, whose company dies because they run out of funding before launching, right? So this is very difficult in the early days of building an agency. We discuss that, we discuss budgets, we discuss how to separate the grain from the chaff in terms of in terms of UX UI, in terms of trends, the case of all of these companies that have ripped off linear, how to stay on top of the news, and how to how to carefully select and pick um, an agency or a freelancer for UX UI, red flags, uh, what things can you assess or ask them when you are actually evaluating potential uh, partners, potential providers for your projects, and more. So if you want to stay on top of news of UX UI, you want to see what's hot, what's interesting, and where's the real substance in UX UI, you got to follow this conversation with Fabio and I. So without further ado, let's jump right into this episode. So it's going to be fun because me coming from Barcelona, you coming from Sicily, but based in the UK, it'll be fun. We have a common language, which is Italian. We're going to be switching to English now. It's going to be violent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, before the podcast, we chatted in Italian. I was really surprised by your like level of Italian and your accent. It's just yeah, next level. And <laughs> thanks. But it's it's really funny because for me, like that's one of the things I find as a multilingual person, that's one of the things I struggle I struggle the most with, right? Is like I know you and I have got this language in common, but we got to switch to English because of the podcast. Like it happens to me with my co-founders. We speak in Catalan every day, and we get to wow. then we record something in the podcast in English or in Spanish. It's super violent. How was your How was the cultural shock for you when you moved to the UK, which you have been for like twenty years now? Yes, it, it was quite uh, a cultural shock. Uh, I left when I was 18. Uh, I just about finished my uh, higher education. And I had this thing in my mind where I wanted to go into uh, video games um, from a technical point of view. So way, when I was playing video games, I was basically playing video games with friends and, and my brother. I used to analyze the little details like like a nerd basically saying why does that thing work that way so how do characters move in a video game like all those little things and so that inspired me to uh, learn c++ at that time um i was very much into like let's learn how everything works so like c++ direct text open gl like 
get an idea of like get a sense and you look puzzled at the moment because you thought i was a designer and that's it like, exactly that's exactly <laughs> yeah. my thoughts right now you read my mind <laughs> yeah exactly no 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 so i started as a developer because um it, due to video games pretty much so at that time i found um i found some universities over here in the uk and they were very like one of the first that i I could find online um, that actually offered video games development course. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I was 18. I left Sicily for the first time. It's like, I'm just going to adventure a different place. Um, and so basically I came over here, um, studied uh, games development. Um, and then I worked a little bit for uh, Studio Liverpool, it was called. It was part of a Sony um, I think Sony bought them out. They were the ones that made the Formula One games at that time. Um, and so I've learned about those. I, I used to do Python scripting then, but um, during my course, it was B of C++ and the DirectX. So it was quite technical. Um, and then, yeah, uh, obviously, on top of that, there was a cultural uh, differences obviously coming from Sicily, the weather, the food, the people, like the behavior, all of that the stuff. Language. <laughs> the language. The language, exactly. It's like, it's like you, you move from Sicily, which is like, you know, a, di a slightly different kind of Italian into like, I don't know if you landed in Manchester, which is a different kind of English that the rest exactly. of the UK speaks. It's like, <laughs> yes. you don't get to speak neither of those two languages, <laughs> yeah. right? But did you, like, funnily enough, I think we've got some things in common here, but like, did you learn English before, uh, before landing in the UK? And through video games because then through, you're like you and yeah. i are the same person <laughs> exactly through video games music i used to like mlm for example like rap music and some metal songs and um television cartoons like whatever i could watch um in english i, I would at that time and japanese as well because that's my other thing Jeez. Yeah. Okay, like, that's <laughs> yeah. totally a language I don't I don't speak. Like I we could probably don't speak have either. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it's funny because one of the things uh, uh, I saw some similarities with my profile, my background, by, uh, in your story. However, one of the things that turned me away from learning how to code video games was actually I took some courses in it. So I studied at Pompeo Fabra University, which is the, the first university to offer a master's in video game development in Europe. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, I love video games. Back then I was totally hooked into like Guild Wars, Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate, all of these RPG games. I was like, I will totally work on that. And I took some courses like, this is shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so bad. It's just like pure math all the time. It is. Like, it is. Yeah, I I completely with but you. But you lost it. Did you like it? Because I no, didn't. I did. No, okay. I didn't like it. I didn't like ah. it. I only did it because I thought it was the only way you could actually get in video games. Like okay. I couldn't understand how people would just go them like that directly into like video gaming industry um, without like a master's or without a I don't know like a, a bachelor degree or something like that. Um, but I was wrong. And if I my recommendation would be don't go to uni for video games. I think there's so yeah. much content and material that you can learn it from scratch online. Um, yeah, or may maybe nowadays, right? Uh, like that's that's one of the yeah. like people people tell me like, do you actually regret going to uni? It's like, well, no, because if I am here today, it's probably because I went there. 
I don't know how would it, it would have gone otherwise, but like without uni, I wouldn't have done Erasmus. Without Erasmus, probably I wouldn't have been so entrepreneurial. I, I wouldn't have lived abroad and then, you know, gave me the connections and the ideas to start a company, right? And so in a sense, it's like, no, I don't regret it, but I'm pretty positive that nowadays people don't need it that much. But before that, there was a lot of social validation. I don't know what, what year were you born. I'm 87. So when I started working here, they were like, yeah, but you got to have a degree. Otherwise, you cannot aspire to have this salary, right? You will be capped. The salary is something in Spain we, get, we call titulitis, which is like you, you have to have titles, right? And yes. the titles so much like super priced and, and sought after. Not anymore. But 15 years ago when I started working, yeah. So it was Same, the case. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, from 85, so only two years difference. Yeah, um, so in Italy, we, we share a lot in common. With yeah, it. exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> and also, I think it was, um, I don't know, even my parents, I think it was a thing of like, oh, if you have a degree, you know, if you have a title after your name or something like that, it just makes, yeah. like, gives you more credibility, as you were saying. So that exactly. that was in my mind. But yeah, I changed that, obviously, and things yeah. have moved However, on and... Yeah, you moved into like a UX UI. There's something that you, um, I mean, you have been riffing on for so many years that your LinkedIn profile is impressive. One of the things you, you claim you. on your Twitter profile is that you designed the first Bumble app. And as a hardcore user of Bumble in the past, which actually has given my present girlfriend, I'm super grateful for. I, I, I think like I got to thank you somehow. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you you gave birth to that thing. So how was it? How, how was he? How does it feel to be sort of the. Um, one of the persons super involved in one app that has made it so big. Yeah, so I, I like to say, obviously, I wasn't the. It wasn't like my idea for the design itself. Obviously, there's a team. There was a team already existing. There was a team in place, and yep. I was approached to uh, expand on what they created. And so they already had the brand that had a visual language and everything, and then expand it over onto iOS and Android. But my focus was mostly on Android, even though I wasn't an Android user. I'm not an Android user. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't. You're a designer. <laughs> you yeah, exactly. It's like whatever. <laughs> just yeah. so I could not decline the offer because, like Bumble, I mean, I knew the person that was behind, um, and I know she was involved with Tinder, and this was like she then left, and she I don't know she got yeah. fired. I think there was some like there um, was this quite a story of like, there is exactly. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, not funny for me though, is that they actually offered some shares in exchange of the services because it was still quite early stage, and oh, I declined no. it. I declined the no. shares. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you never know. It's a lottery, yeah? and like I don't. Uh, it you, is. But. It is. Because and I needed the money at that time as well, so I'm like, no, 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 like keep your shares, and then I just work on the on the UI. Um, but yeah, that was a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it's like, oh, you should have done this. Like the guy who passed on investing on Facebook, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, look at, looking back, everybody knows how to build things. But <laughs> in the moment, it's hard It's hard to do that. However, like there must be some things that you, that there's there, there's got to be some sort of recognition because you have been freelancing for a while. You had your studio. And and one of the things that is gives me most frustration about building stuff for other people is that oftentimes, I don't know what percentage of your portfolio you build and it never gets released. Or it gets released, doesn't have an impact, or it gets thrown away because it was an MVP, or it just doesn't have success. It ends up in the recycle bin of history. And it's like, 
shit. Like, I think it's really cool shit. We built the first two years of MarsBase was basically building stuff for companies that never released or they ran out of money before finishing product. And then it's like, okay, show me your portfolio. It's like, well, we've got all these so crazy profile, uh, like designs and, and apps, but we cannot show that because the motherfuckers did the launch or they, <laughs> they couldn't drive a business, right? So um must be really satisfactory to have a, like the batch of having worked on Bumble. But how, how did you deal with the frustration of these unreleased apps, unreleased designs, things that never saw the light of day? Yeah, and that's a very good point. And I think when I speak to people that are started now or they want to open studios and things like that it's just something that that really doesn't get discussed much even on social media i'm quite active on twitter as you know but yep. not many people will actually say by the way all this amazing stuff as a de- that you create as a designer and even you know like your team develop the amazing stuff but then either it gets butchered by the um, in-house team of your clients uh, yep. or maybe as you said your clients run out of money and then basically cannot publish anything um and it's yeah it i I feel like it's some it's a topic that doesn't really get discussed much um but it's it's important because you know when even when i uh for example i've i've got a a side studio at the moment as well so something that i'm overseeing or almost like a like a a director of the board but don't Mm -hmm. really do design actively so i just look after the projects and um you know kind of the biz dev side of things and even then you know when we send our uh kind of pitch across a lot of that stuff um that we display cannot even be referenced online because yeah changed completely even if it's like six months old everything has changed um and so we have to explain to like potential customers that things have changed or you know, maybe they were not developed by us or, or like a partner development studio. And so they were completely changed after. Um, so, yeah, I don't or, know how. I don't, sorry, sorry go I was going to say. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how to deal with that. Um, really, apart from just explaining things have changed pretty much. Yeah, and, this and, is what and the, the other thing is like things that you build like seven years ago, they might not look very fancy today. Like in the design, it's even worse. Like it gets outdated so quickly, right? Absolutely. I mean, it happens to us that we don't really design shit, but like sometimes we got on our website on whatever, we got portfolio. Oh, we built this app. Or somebody referenced me this app. is like, yeah, but don't take a look at that. Or the design is not ours. We built the back end, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, your front end is not very good. It's like, yeah, we didn't design that motherfucker, which is like didn't ask. So that's why you got to be super explicit about what you do, precisely because a lot of agencies, and it's a really good point that 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 you bring this app, that nobody talks about this. So let's refund it a little bit, is that um, a lot of agencies just mention client. Like we work for this client or we did this site, but they don't really like make explicit what part they work on. Was it, as you mentioned, like Bumble, but Bumble for Android, okay, or that version, or we did only the backend for this, we did some consulting, right? And so I think like if everybody made, like contributed with their part and they said like, oh, we only work on this part, could be easier and we wouldn't have to explain it so much. Exactly. But that comes to, I think it's also like personal marketing. I think there is the idea of, for example, I'm a quite introverted person. Um, so it takes me a long time to, or even mentally, um, to, to like focus and just say, oh, I've worked on this, even on the Twitter profile, to even mention those things. Um, it just, I don't, I don't know, like I look at that and I feel, 
a little bit, oh, I don't know, am I boasting? Is it something that I should remove from there? But then, you know, when you think that obviously you need to sell yourself, you need to sell your services, then it makes sense. You know, maybe you don't want to be that precise. You don't want to be like, oh, I only worked on the back end. Let people ask you about that. Like let potential customers find out only if they need to. Just impress them. Just say, okay, cool. You worked on, I don't know, the NASA website. But it could have been like on a tiny, tiny part of the NASA website. Um, it doesn't matter. I think it just brings the interest and the conversation then starts. Exactly. Like for us, we get a saying here around Barcelona. It's like everybody works for FC Barcelona. Eventually you end up working for FC Barcelona. We work for FC Barcelona. But um, people just put the logo and even like they are super anal about you cannot reference anything. You cannot speak about or you know you kind of link to your work and 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 so a lot of people just put the logo there and they don't say anything of course but then it gives the impression that you work for fc barcelona and i know the case of a company which is literally designed one one icon i think it was like the desktop app icon or something like that's the only <laughs> thing they did and it's like of course we work for fc barcelona i got an invoice from that, so. exactly <laughs> you just but, show, uh, you go proof it's it's terrible some clients like what did we mention right some projects they were never launched. Some projects are internal tools, which are not publicly accessible. And then you got others that by contract, you can speak about them. It's like, give me a fucking break. How the fuck am I going to build a portfolio if I got exactly. all of these restrictions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other risk of NDAs. Um, like, for example, um, I don't freelance so much uh, right now. So I do consulting and I'm very picky who I work with. Um, so... Um, sometimes in the past I used to get NDAs and they were really restrictive um, because I, I think like who would read this stuff you know you wouldn't go in the small text and try to understand you're not a lawyer you, it's not your job to really understand all of that um, but there were some really bizarre clauses like uh, you cannot work with a similar company for the next 12 years or like <laughs> It's like, come on. It's bonkers. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you're basically asking me to stop working forever just because I'm working on your project right now. Um, so yeah, that's another thing. Sounds like, like I'm losing money there, right? It's like, <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, I, you cannot work for any other company in the field of mobility for three yes. years. It's like, what the, what the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. then I'm not going to take your 10 grand project and lose a total addressable market of millions of dollars yeah, just because of your exactly. 10k project like sounds like i'm i'm losing there yeah i'm ndas are are totally crazy i mean i don't know what's your take on this our advice is as an agency or contractor don't sign ndas unless it's like a really really big client that you know requires it but because it's like fc barcelona hp like a super corporate client that you want to work for and it changes your life do it then they will never check whether you've worked for somebody else. But if it's a tiny ass startup that is asking for that, it's like, no, mate, I'm sorry. This is a rookie mistake. And you're signaling that you are a rookie if you're asking me as an investor or as an agency owner, I'm not going to sign an NDA because that, that might drive me out of business. So I don't have any upside in signing this. 100%. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. It, it, it definitely shows if you're a tiny one person studio type of thing or like startup, just sending an NDA is like, nah, no chance. I mean, you show, <laughs> it shows how like, yeah, inexperienced they, they are. Exactly. Let's talk about like something that maybe it sounds very, very, I don't know how to put it. It's not controversial, but it's it's definitely in the zeitgeist of nowadays. I know this, this question gets 
it's too cheesy, I'm afraid. But people want to hear proper answers. It's like, will AI take away the jobs of designers? I was expecting I that. <laughs> you were expecting that. And I feel yes. bad about asking that. But I've got a hot take on this, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah, it's. I think it's definitely fair to ask. Um, I know a lot of people, even, I don't know, maybe Twitter does, or the media in general, makes it sound... I don't know, a lot worse than what it is. Um, I do like the use of AI. So Investors. The investors. The <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I like the use of AI. So, for example, in the various teams I'm part of, I use it almost every day. So I, today, for example, I just signed up to ChatGTP+. It's available in the UK without waiting for the in the waiting list uh so i subscribe to that one and i use it regularly for a lot of stuff and i think it's important to and i know it's gonna take some jobs in the future i'm pretty sure of that maybe i don't know copywriting or ideation or even you know some crazy stuff that i came across the other day some guy created a chrome plugin for scraping pages um using chat gtp and it was uh, it, it was a demo, so I'm, I don't know if it was real or not, but it looked mm -hmm. incredible. So even that would probably remove the need for some scraping APIs or services or something like that. I don't know. Um, but in terms of design, there are a few companies that are doing some really cool stuff. Um, I can't think there is one company right now that integrated AI in Figma. I just cannot think of the name. Is it mm -hmm. Diagram? Yeah. No, yeah. I can't remember. Uh, I, I get it, yeah. Tip of the tongue, but... Yeah, I definitely can't remember. Anyways, but we'll add it to the show notes, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think they are going to be useful more than stealing jobs of designers and developers and so on. So I think, in, like, for example, in Figma, um, sometimes my struggle is spending too much time finding the right iconography. Um, some clients obviously don't have the budget for or even the time for you to create iconography from, from scratch. Um, and so even just using AI to, to generate some sort of icon and then using it as a placeholder could be in a wireframe, you know, it could be some process type that you just want to like send across quickly. Um, having something that quick, um, it, it just is amazing, I think. Um, and that already exists. It's, it's a plugin in Figma. I just kind of remember the name. Um, but yeah, I think no, no there's no big risk. Yeah, there's no big risk right now. That's what I feel like. But I might be naive. I don't know. I, I think like for one, I think it will take away parts of the job that are commoditized, right? Some designers or like designers, coders, whatever, copywriters are just commodities. Like they don't add any proper value to what you're trying to build and they can be replaced by an AI. But they will be forced to move forward and do something in a more like let's say in a in a higher scale or reinvent themselves. For me, I, I don't see like the destruction of a of a field. I see like it's gonna bring new people who couldn't afford the services to the field because we'll lower the barriers, right? So mm -hmm. the barriers of entry of a good designer are like super expensive. They got like super uh, long waiting list and whatnot. So maybe by allowing them to kind of like outsource, automate, delegate uh, more stuff onto the AI, maybe they will be able to work for smaller clients or offer a wider range of free services that these other people that they were never addressed to, they had never access to this kind of thing. So in, in a sense, it's like opening the gates to a new community. And 
I don't know. Like for me, I heard a really good analogy by Jason Calacanis, which is obviously a somebody controversial, but uh, I deeply respect him and admire him in, in, in so many ways. So he says like, this kind of like GPS, like it was supposed to, to eliminate drivers and whatnot. And just people are so fucking dumb that they were just driving into cornfields because the GPS told them, turn right here. There's obviously no road. And people are just blindly following them. So if you're just blindly following AI, you're not going to be the best designer around, right? You still need that human component to make it better and to make your to do your job. So absolutely, yeah, definitely. And there is also the point of uh, the, the prompts, right? So there is yeah. now we're seeing people start selling prompts, for example, because it's another skill set that you have to learn to make sure that you get the right results back. Um, so that is opening another, I guess, side hustle, side industry, um, which nobody expected maybe six months ago to happen. Um, exactly. Exactly. Give me two or three. Give me two or three use cases of ChatGPT before we move into kind of like the <laughs> the uh, the UX UI side of things. Yeah. So one of them that I use regularly is um, tidying up data. So for example, um, if I get a lot of data from my biz dev who goes online and scrapes or downloads data from, for example, I don't know, Crunchbase. You know, we want to look at companies that we want to pitch to or cold email, whatever it might be. Um, the data is unstructured. Obviously, you know, if we, we are kind of the cheap side. So if you pay for the premium plan, Crunchbase will give you CSVs so you can download them. But if you want to stay on the cheap side, you can actually copy the the content from the the website and then you can post it on chat gtp ask it to uh, create a table for you and then give it to you as a csv as well so that removes all the complexity of doing everything manually so that's one great use case the other use case um is copywriting um just in terms of obviously english is not my main language um but I, um, I, I like to ask on top of, for example, Glam, Grammarly, uh, Hemingway, like various apps to help me with certain um, co- kind of contexts or some, some copy they want to write. So it's either micro copy for websites, apps or for landing pages, just to give me the start, like the spark, the, the main idea to make me. To, to get me started on like writing something uh, additional. So instead of using the like Lorem Ipsum, I just go and ask for like proper content because I hate Lorem Ipsum. Like whoever design, like whichever designer uses Lorem Ipsum, like, yeah, you should stop. And just yeah, go it's and not anymore. Like you got to plenty of tools, plenty of add-ons for your app of choice to generate text. And- exactly. But believe me, people still use that. So I don't still know. use yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. They use that. And one of the things that like I was pleasantly surprised about is that that you you somehow mix this the designer part of things uh, with your developer profile because or your de- developer learnings, right? And so uh, one of my my I, I think it's easier to work for us for, for me as a technical person, even though we work with designers who don't know how to code, we find it's usually better to work with them because sometimes graphic designers who don't know the implications of coding, they they end up designing things that are super complicated to code. Maybe then the 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 downside is that they lose on creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Their designs are not as spectacular precisely because they know somebody's gonna code them. What's your what's your take on this one? 
Yeah, it's, I can give you a personal instance, for example, where in the past um, I've won contracts due to my background. You know, a lot of clients yeah. would ask, oh, you know, do you know how to work with developers? And then I explain my background and that would basically win me the contract because as you yeah. were saying, some of the designers would just not be able to understand, you know, the res the restrictions that you might have in code. Um, but um, creativity wise, I don't know. I think I love to design outside my working hours if it's a project that I want to launch, like if it's something for myself. So I still go, like, I guess like you guys maybe want to code something, you do like lots of little side projects. Um, so I, I do that also because sometimes with design, you know, um, designing for clients or working with companies, you've got restrictions of what you can do. And maybe you can follow the latest trends and you want to try, I don't know, glass morphism or something crazy that you can't really do in your main job. Um, so I tend to do those things. And I feel, even myself, I feel like mm, this is a bit too silly. Like, I know it cannot be developed, um, but maybe try, try, like, see what happens. I don't care. I'm never going to develop this thing. Um, so I don't know. I think it's, th there's a balance. I just don't know if um, some people might get pushed back by the knowledge of things that can be decoded and or not. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Also, because I'm not. I don't, for example, I don't do front-end coding. Um, yeah, you're I'm not web designer. You're not a web developer. Exactly. C++, which doesn't really give you insight. Gives you insight on coding, but not on web coding, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I obviously I keep myself informed with like Next.js and React and all of that. I just want to understand how it works, and I do tutorials occasionally. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's still something that I can't say I'm an expert. So even then I still kind of ignore the restrictions and I still go ahead and do cool stuff. And then we maybe have to pull it back and say, Hey, no, this is a bit too fancy for the time that we have available and all of that. Yeah. Like some, I, I gave a really stupid example, but it's pretty explicit. Like sometimes we've worked with designers in the past and they, they, they were showing us the design and you see two forms on the same page. It's like, no, <laughs> like, no, exactly. I mean, yeah, you could have it. No one has it because it's it's difficult to code. It doesn't make sense. Even from the from the user experience side, it's like, what are you gonna do? Like, do they save on the same page? Do they redirect that this one redirects you to another page or do they stay on the same? Like which one takes priority? It's it's stupid. Looks cool, looks amazing. <laughs> but and so but the, the the other the other question is like in terms of like trends, right? Because it's really hard to Stay on top of trends. And one one tweet that caught my attention this week is uh, I'm, you're probably familiar with an app called Linear, right? I love you Linear. Know I, yes. Yeah. Linear is a super amazing app. Like we switched to Linear one one year and a half ago. And like literally, we do everything on Linear now. The design's pretty groundbreaking, even though they didn't design this trend, uh, they didn't invent this trend of like dark mode landing pages, super like neon, because Superhuman already started with that. So this yes. kind of like new high scale productivity boosting on steroids apps, like, and they are a little bit elitist, if you know, like... Uh, 30 euros per month to pay for an email client. Fuck me, that's, that's really expensive, but they're really good products. However, yes. there was this tweet that caught my, my attention in which like somebody, like so many companies ripped off the design of Linear. Like sometimes even like the same, you know, moon uh, hovering on something, the neon days, and even the copy. It's like, wow, man, like how do you, how do you, 
how do you balance this out in terms of like, yeah, I want to be inspired by this kind of trend, but I want to put my style in. How do you blend these two things together? Yeah, that's a good point. I, and I think it's difficult for even experienced designers to, in a way, remove yourself from the stuff that has inspired you, as inspired you that you see online. So the the thing about Linear, um, it's interesting because I think there's also a website now that lists all the page, all the websites that look like Linear. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I think it was the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of Some them. have changed. They have reverted back to the old design because, oh, we outsourced this to an agency. Like, exactly. That's the excuse. It. Yeah, that's, that's the excuse. excuse. Yeah. yeah, Somebody approved that shit. You know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think one point is, um, and actually was in a tweet, someone asked the same question and the reply by someone else was because they convert. So the conversion rate is great. Yes. So Cool. Okay. That makes sense. If you look from a business point of view, but if you are a senior designer in house, like personally I've had requests. So last year I was work, I was uh, consulting for a startup, went through Y Combinator and the same thing happened. They were like, we love linear, please do everything you can to make it look like linear. To me, I, I didn't quite agree. Obviously you can pick elements and you can say, okay, it's dark. Okay. It's got a grid at the top and the grid is very like, I don't know, 80s vibe, Tron, yeah. you know, the kind of like that synth perspective. Pop, synth wave. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that kind of neon colors. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's also a little bit of Apple, you know, with the with the kind of rounded cards um, as you scroll down. So it's a mixture of styles. And I even want to, I will not attribute that to linear either. I think that design team got inspiration probably from Apple, uh, other websites as well. So the tricky thing as a designer is obviously you get inspired by a lot of stuff that you see, but then how do you move away from too much inspiration? You're like, you know, obviously try and design something new with your unique um, style, but while still being inspired and maybe keeping it as a trend. I think that's really tricky. Um, and lots of people manage to do that. A lot of other people don't. And then it comes out as a, oh, it's a ripoff. Just it looks exact, exactly the same. Yeah, because uh, I can understand that from a. It's a really good point. Like five, ten years ago, everybody was ripping off Stripe's landing pages, yes. right? So because Stripe was the perfect uh, use case and uh, it converted so much, and now it's linear. And in five years, it will be somebody else. Um, but the point being, like, it must be a really difficult thing to to decide on because on the one hand, it's like I know if I rip them off. I get immediate results, conversions, signups, downloads, whatever, and business is happy. Leadership is happy. I'm going to get my paycheck. If I stray away too much from this, I am, on the on the one hand, I might get I might become the outlier who creates a new trend. But the chances are so astronomically small that maybe, you know, you are like doesn't work. And why didn't you follow this? Because one of the things that you probably get a lot as a designer is like everybody knows how to design, right? Everybody knows how to give opinions on design, right? And so definitely, it must be really hard to balance these long-term thinking versus these short, immediate-term results that, you know, people are like, yeah, if you do this, it works versus maybe I'm going to give it a try. Maybe I get a chance at breaking out with something new. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, sometimes it's also your investors. I think it's something that comes right from the top. They might like something. They're not very technical people. So they might just 
see something that is trending at the moment, maybe something that is in, in their portfolio as well. So, you know, if, I don't know, uh, the, the same investor invested in Linear and is investing in your company, maybe it's like, okay, Linear works, then why don't you do the same for uh, the other portfolio company, whatever it might be. And it has happened to me in the past as well. So there's a request coming from the top. Um, so I think you have to have the right combination of freedom from, for example, investors, or maybe it's a bootstrap project and also freedom from, uh, like time freedom, all of that to make something so unique and different than you maybe start a new trend. How about one of the things, um, and uh, switching gears here, um, whenever companies approach us and we're not the right fee, or maybe they don't have the budget, we don't have capacity. I like to be useful at least to them and give them some tips on how to find other agencies and how to assess whether they're good fits or not or whether they're going to be just pirates, right? And so think very basic things that not everybody does, like, you know, code and IP is yours from the get-go, not after the last paycheck, right? Or make sure they have these in place. They are an LLC. They are they have this and blah, 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 blah. Um, I've, I always give them like five to ten indications as to how to pick the, the grain from the chaff, right? How about when people are looking for a UX UI person or agency? What are the things that could be considered red flags or do you advise people to kind of like ask them about? Yeah, so I, I might be wrong in thinking this, but, and please correct me um, if I say something stupid. But um, I feel that because design now nowadays is so commoditized, everybody feels they know a little bit about design. Like everybody can design. Uh, Everybody was, calls themselves UX UI expert, right? Exactly. So, yeah. you know, it's, there was a meme a while ago where, um, you know, like you work with a client and the client says, oh, uh, let me ask my nef my niece or my nephew and I'll yeah. get back to you with feedback. That has changed. I think now everyone has an opinion. Obviously, it's visual. So for us, maybe in code, you can hide a few things. Like if the code is not super clean, if you have to cut corners, that's fine. In design, you can't really do that. So uh, you immediately going to get an opinion from um, clients, basically. And what I found is um, it also shows on the first interaction that you have with potential new clients. Um, and so the red flags, there are definitely a few. Um, there is everything from the type of questions they, they ask to the payment terms. You know, if they... Um, I had one the other day when asked, to, uh, basically required us to do um, like a demo design for them, which was unpaid. And oh, then yeah. if we, yeah, if we were a good fit, then yeah, we can work together. Definitely red flag there. Yeah. Um, there is um, communication uh, breakdowns. So we send an email back. We don't hear for like a two weeks and then all of a sudden they rush say oh we want to start tomorrow straight away like super pushy um you already get a sense of like mm, maybe they're going to be micromanaging you and they're not ideal customers either and obviously things change even for you know for them but um it just there are small things that i guess you you learn over the years uh, which is difficult to articulate um but yeah that, that's um, how to, to select clients. But how about selecting agencies? Like if you were to advise somebody to find an agency or a UX UI provider, what would you have them ask or, you know, detect? Um, good question. So 
For agencies, obviously the, the portfolio and going back to what we discussed before as well, maybe understand what they did on a particular project. So if you see the portfolio work for Microsoft, okay, what did you do for Microsoft? Which department? Like, you know, try and have a, have a breakdown of that and get a good understanding. The other very good point, I think that a lot of agencies get um, quite, I don't know, easy with that is passing and it's well known. So passing you to a junior designer once you sign a contract. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the, the thing. You know, it's it's a big one. Um so that uh may maybe make sure obviously there's so much you can find out, but make sure who the designers are. If they've got a good profile online, maybe try and find them personally and just see if they are those people that they're working, you know, on your project. Um potentially any any social media, maybe any understanding of um how they interact with custom with users. You know, sometimes I've had agencies working with us that were very rude to our clients. Um, so the communication broke down immediately and they actually start swearing at clients in Slack. And so we immediately, yeah, so there's no idea, but we didn't know until we actually worked with them. So there's definitely lots of little things that potentially you could do. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I know that it's, yeah, some of the things it, are quite it tricky. Does. It, it, it does. It and, does. And precisely, just very basic things can just help to, you know, balance uh, a decision one way or another. And uh, I think most people are not experienced and they just Google and, and find this person. Usually, if agencies are too good, uh, too good on SEO, they are just yes. too marketing oriented, they have sales representative and they are... That means that they have to have a lot of clients to keep the business going, but they don't get margin or they don't renew their clients. Whereas if they are really expensive and they have like a waiting list, um, or they have this sort of boutique feeling like we do, for instance, that means that we never lose our clients. We don't, it's not like we don't care to get new clients, but we don't need them. So we, we kind of like can cherry pick. And therefore, that means that we never lose our clients because we got on, on retainer. Usually, if they work on retainer, that's a good sign as well. So I wanted to to understand whether it works uh, the same way with uh, with designers. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's good advice. Understanding what part of the portfolio, like we mentioned at the beginning, that's that's really important. Um, the, the other thing is like uh, about budgets, right? Because UX, UI, and development obviously fight a lot about budgets and as you mentioned in ux ui you cannot cut corners like and unfortunately in coding you you can cut yep. corners like you shouldn't but most people they're like we don't have time for we don't have money for testing don't exactly. test they're like well we don't like that but it's your decision you understand the risk they don't understand the risk most of the times <laughs> But you can't cut corners there. No one's going to see it unless it blows up and then you fix it. You cross the river when you reach the river, right? Design, it's just there, you know. Maybe you can cut corners by not creating an animation somewhere or secondary pages. But you cannot, you cannot do that. How, how, do you, how do you find the balance between, you know, when people come with MVP ideas and you're like, they think it's an MVP but it's not really an MVP. It's the most ambitious project. It's an MAP, right? They come with all of this and yeah, it has to have this. It's like, dude, that's not a minimum. Where, where, what's the part of minimum you haven't understood in MVP, right? Um, how, do you, how do you advise them to 
like take things off the MVP list. Yeah. So what? I mean, it really obviously it really depends on on a project a project basis. Obviously, um, but we offer an initial stage where we charge a minimum fee to basically understand the MVP. So I understand the requirements and we'll then go back to them and say, this is not an MVP. This is like a lot bigger than an MVP. So we either work together in reducing the complexity and the scope, uh, or you need to bring in more budget and then we're going to discuss, you know, how to make your non-MVP a functioning prototype, potentially for investors or, you know, developers like yourselves. Um, so there is there has to be this back and forth. And in the past, my, uh, well, our mistake was we didn't charge for that process. And so okay. it was a lot of time spent reviewing and then giving this information for free, which is big mistake. Um, yeah, but at the beginning, you cannot really, you don't have the reputation to charge for that initial setup, right? So... Yeah, exactly. No so you have to, exactly. There. And yeah, yeah. Uh, where now, you know, you can go from as little as, for example, 500 euros, uh, because it's maybe going to be like one or two hours of your time and just review everything, get back to the client and just explain. Uh, and that will save them money and time. And obviously you have paid for the time that you spent on that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of ideally what we, what we usually do. I say ideally because it doesn't always happen. Sometimes even when we actually mention the review stage, some clients don't even want to pay that and just say, okay, no, then we want to work together. We won't be able to. So they're not. Yeah. Our. Maybe then you lose some potential clients that might not be very good for your business. It's 50, 50. Sometimes they are really good clients, but they just don't want to pay for that because nobody else in the industry charges for that, which is the difficulty that we are encountering, right? For the first five years, I think we never charged for that. And even though we tried, we tried always, but like nobody was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to pay for a definition phase. No fucking way. And then eventually somebody paid for it. And I was like, okay, now we found a price. Then we charged double and then people kept paying and some people don't pay. Fine. We're not going to work on this because we've got so yep. many other clients. But when you don't have a pipeline, of you course, to, you're going to take the free work, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Like you just accept any type of, pro of projects or clients that you can. How how about like finding deal flow for a company like you? Because um, we're mentioning in the in the pre chat, like in the war map, that um, basically, so you, you got a large community on Twitter, and uh, and I I find that whenever you build community, and we're a pretty community oriented company in Mars Space, organizing events, doing podcasts, and whatnot, and we thought that was going to help us to find deal flow, and the deal flow doesn't come from there. We find a lot of talent though. How about you? Where do you get your deal flow from? So for us, um, we're still working on through that because, um, as, as I told you before, I went through agency and then consulting, then agencies. So it, it's been quite different as a path. And a lot of, uh, so for example, even the way that we've been finding customers has changed over the years. And so for me, uh, for example, if it was, I don't know, three, four years ago, Dribble was the main source of income for us. Okay. So every time we posted something on Dribble, we would get maybe 10 inquiries a week. Um, nice. So we were very selective. It was incredible. Then obviously the Dribble thing happened. So Tiny bought Dribble. They signed a new CEO, um, which is also a great guy, by the way. Um, but I feel that 
because of the price increase and the way they changed the way that Dribble works, and then the massive income of like spam users and likes and all of that, a lot of designers moved away from Dribble, and so um, has decreased the quality of inquiries that you get uh, or the number of inquiries. So we have to adapt all the time. Um, so right now, or even at my previous studio, um, we found the best way is to basically call the email. So we have a portfolio oh, wow. ready. Yeah. Oh. So find companies that um, potentially got investment um, recently. Uh, look at the website. If it looks terrible um, or if they're hiring for a UI UX position, for example, or if you've been trying their apps and their app doesn't look as nice as it should or as it could, then <laughs> then you just go and cold email them. Um, you do a first... I'll give, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Wallapop from Spain. They're fucking awful. Oh, <laughs> they? Okay, I've heard of oh, them. I've like, not used them. Oh, okay. geez. Like, the app is terrible. Like, it's probably a lot of, like, mixed design. You But UX UI is horrible. It's been like yeah. this for 10 years. So I'll give you this one. They got a fuck ton of money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that would be a good example um, to just go linked link to with someone of the maybe like head of product head of marketing someone that might be involved on linkedin and then from there you start you know kind of making connections you know um sending proposals asking questions and there's a full flow like we've been trying everything and it's still i can't say it, it works great um but there is a potential of uh, having a nice system where you can almost automate it in a way and just get enough people to open your emails, check your portfolio, maybe attach a PDF or something and then kind of go from there. How do you deal with the frustration coming from, you know, some really, really big apps and projects making millions and millions and they have like the most terrible design ever, like Craigslist or eBay or like in Spain, we got the famous case of Mercadona, right? A, a huge supermarket that they're proud of having the shittiest website ever because they are the largest supermarket. And it, it just works anyway because people just work there because they had a, a brand. But it's fucking awful. So <laughs> how, do you, how do you deal with that? How can, how can you explain it to somebody who just like wants to spend a lot of UX, UI, and they haven't validated their business hypothesis? It's frustrating as a designer, definitely. I think... Even if you look at Craigslist, as you mentioned, they got terrible design. It's something from like or 1997. Amazon. Or Amazon. It's yeah, awful. Amazon Amazon annoys me. That's another level of like <laughs> yeah. Craigslist, we know, and they never changed. It works for them, like great. <laughs> yeah. Um Amazon, they do things on purpose that they really annoy me. So even AWS, oh man, like oh you my need God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't get me started on that. It's exactly. Awful. So yeah. going to AWS is just another level of like usability. I don't know. You need to be, I don't know, like a degree in uh, rocket science to use that website. But Google Analytics, <laughs> I'll give you this one as well. Like, yes, Jesus, Jesus oh, yeah. Christ! Google, Google, oh Google Ads, Google Ads is like Google Ads. Where is the information? Like I want to put in my credit card. I don't know where. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you don't want my money. <laughs> um, there is another one which is LinkedIn uh, sales funnel. Oh, um, yeah. Wow, you can't even Stopped see using what... using it because it was so bad. But yeah. Exactly, like, what is the price? You can't see the price. You have to contact them. And it's also the contacting thing that really annoys me. It's like, show me, if it's a service that you sell, show me the price. Don't let me speak with people. Like, I don't want to speak to, like, some random person. Just 
to find out how much it costs, you know, to use your services. So then related to this question is, when do you think is like the best moment for a company to start really spending on fine-tuning UX UI? Like I, for one, I always said like, ship something stupid and it looks, even if it looks, I mean, that doesn't have to look like shit, but don't spend too much on design because if then the expectations don't match the design, it's like, wow, nice front end, but there's no features in the back. So why why so shiny, right? What's your take on this? When's the right moment for a company to start really spending on fine-tuning the design? Yeah, so there's a couple of points on this. So as a business mind, I would say straight away, obviously I want to work with you. I'm a designer, just spend the money. <laughs> What's um, your incentive, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, in reality, I agree with you. I think... Um, the shi- I think it all depends. So if you have something that is really shiny, it attracts users. Um, maybe. I don't know what your user base is going to be and what type of product you're going to sell. But if you are targeting for other designers or people that really appreciate good taste, um, maybe have something shiny because then you, wanna, you want them to, I don't know, sign up to your newsletter for when you launch your product, even if it's like an MVP or whatever. Um, but I've had exp- like really recently as well, I think is interesting question that you asked there because recently I I basically left um, a startup uh, that I was consulting for because I felt my design uh, skills were not needed Um, because the developers were blockers. I could provide as much design as I wanted, but then we Mm -hmm. had no chance of validating that the design actually made sense. You know, we could do so many phone calls with potential customers and show them, oh, the app might look like this. But then we had no enough, not enough time in developers to basically make that a reality. So I said, you know what, guys, I'm going to leave you. Um, you go ahead, develop what you basically can and what I provided you with. And then come back to me in six months time and say, okay, why well, now we validated what we really want. And then we can design on top of that. So that to me is the best way. Like I, I like to be upfront and I like to be clear just I don't want to stay hung around I could have stayed there and got paid for the time that I spent providing 100 prototypes but I didn't feel it was right for the startup even though they were like seriously they got funding got through Y Combinator so you know they had the money they could spend that money I just didn't want to take that money because I felt it was unfair for me to do that that's uh, that's very honest from your side. Look, uh, we got a signature question on this podcast that we're nearing the hour of conversations. <laughs> like wow. we've been riffing here for almost an hour, um, which I'm super appreciative of your time. But we got a signature question, which is, what's the what's the most expensive fuck up you've ever done? Of course, in your field, in UX UI. Like, can you quantify oh, it in money? Oh, that's uh, oh man, that that's a difficult one. UI UX, in terms of things that I messed up, probably nothing that I can think of. Uh, the only one I can think of, obviously, was the Bumble one, never never taking a percentage of the uh, investment money that they offered. That's a big fuck yeah. up. I think I calculated a while ago, and I think when they were at the highest, because they IPO'd, so they, yeah. they went public, right? So I could have got my shares then. Um, and I think it was like something crazy, like... $20 million or something. Like that. Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, that hurts. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what I mean. I'm like, no. So that's definitely a big fuck up, but not not quite design related. It's bad. Oh, yeah, no, no, but it, it's good enough. But like, 
you know, in hindsight, right? Maybe, you know, you take that money and you become rich and then you get run over by a car. You never know. <laughs> exactly. That's you never what I always know. say yeah. about like the multiverse, right? You never know. <laughs> just, exactly. just speculate on that. Look, uh, Fabi, super thank you for your time. Uh, one minute for you. Uh, how can we help you back? Uh, your projects, your community, yourself. How can we help you? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I can't even believe it. It's been an hour. Um, really enjoyed this. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter. That's my most active account. Uh, so at triple F A B S. So F F F A B S as fabs. Um, I post a lot of stuff there. That's you know, where I'm uh, the most active. Um, that's it. So I'm there. Just follow me or ask me any questions if you want about design. Um, I'm also working on a startup. Um, if you know investors, uh, spe- specifically on the sort of like the SAT, the, the like a CRM SaaS t- type of like angle, more than happy to to chat and uh, give you a few um, basically ideas of what I'm working on. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much.